So we're glad to have you. Today is number three in this series, basically asking the question, what will 2016 bring? 2016, according to the word of the Lord, he whispered in my heart, and I've got scripture that we're preaching from out of Isaiah 54, is the year of enlargement. Now, I realize that probably runs contrary to some of your New Year's resolutions, that you want to reduce debt, you want to reduce stress, and you want to reduce calories, and reduce pounds, and maybe reduce some habits in one way or another. Uh, but, you know, I really believe the way that we do that is to get our faith enlarged and our hearts enlarged to see what God has for us so that we have the strength to do what He's called us to do, if there's an area of reduction that needs to take place. So, this morning, um, just to remind you, our first two, we asked the question, what will 2016 bring? And we talked about enlarging and lengthening and strengthening and not holding back. And, and basically, the blessing of the Lord just bringing increase in every kind of way. Everybody say increase. So I'm expectant of that. I'm looking for that. That's the answer to my what if question is, what if God is a God of His Word? What if He is, has integrity? Yes, I believe He is and I believe He does. And so this morning, as we look to this, let me remind you of a couple of the one things. That's the only thing I'm going to do to review. One thing from our first message was, my past cannot limit my future when I trust God. Say that with me. My past cannot limit my future when I trust God. The one thing from last week, dealing with fear, that whole section on fear not, because the everlasting love of the Lord is the answer to that. The one thing was fear cannot, cannot operate where love abounds. Say that with me. Fear cannot operate where love abounds. So this morning we launch into... This third in the series, and the question that we're asking is, what worry, or worries, plural, will 2016 bring? Every one of us is dealing with a different set of circumstances or concerns. Some of you that are approaching retirement age are concerned about the stock market that seems to be hiccuping a little bit this week. Because we are, after all, in a world that's basically a big global village, they can sneeze in Beijing, catch a cold in Tokyo, and before the morning, London has the flu, and Wall Street is basically laid out. And so we, we've seen dips and rises, and we've watched our 401ks and our mutual funds take a plunge, and prayerfully for those of you that are reaching retirement age shortly, this won't be another one of those big dips the way it was in 2008-9 after the bubble burst in the housing industry. You know, in the middle of all of that, there are worries, there are concerns that we have. Uh, basically, crime and terror and rampant violence around us everywhere. Yesterday, I spent the day driving to Nashville, apartment hunting with Abby, and going around in various places and looking and trying to see what crime rates were in areas. And she was, you know, oh, Dad, this will be fine. And I said, no, baby, I've raised you too hard for you to become a crime statistic. What are you talking about? <laughs> And I said, no, I'm not going to have it. And she said, well, this one is a little bit more. I said, I will worry about the little bit more. I want to be able to know that you're safe. Okay? And so these are concerns that we have as parents, we have as grandparents. Some of you have the blessing and the challenge, and it's two-sided, to have a direct input into the lives of grandchildren and sometimes taking wayward directions that... Are, are not really the best decisions being made and you're concerned about what their futures will be. And so these are worries that we carry. 
besides the economy and besides violence and terror and ISIS and uh, uh, an election year and the potential of a tanking economy and, and will you have a job or not and maybe a challenges personally in a relationship that's not what it used to be. Maybe things are broken or uh, at best the wheels are kind of wobbling on the thing. It's almost like the, the wheels are going to come off the wagon. Uh, and, and the concerns we could continue to give examples and mount them. Because we tell the truth, everybody in the room walked in this morning with a set of things on your mind, maybe deadlines, maybe quotas that you have to meet, problem students in the classroom that you teach, difficult bosses, supervisors that you might think have it in for you, or maybe you are the boss and the supervisor and lazy employees you're having to, to discipline. And the concerns are myriad, as many as we can come up with or mention. we got all kinds of things to worry about. And so this morning, I want to speak to those because I believe our perspective and how we deal with them really sometimes is much more powerful than the actual concern that we have. So today, I'm going to let you stay seated. I'm going to read the section that we've preached the prior two Sundays. And then when we come to today's text, you can stay seated, but I want to have you read it out loud with me. Okay, so listen, from Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Everybody say enlarge. Enlarge, enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Everybody, be, everybody say Stretched. So we, 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 we like something that's growing, but the stretching is not comfortable. It's a transitional period. We're in the in-between. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Enlarge the place of your tent. It says, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Everybody say, lengthen and strengthen. Verse 3, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. Your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. So they're bringing back life. Number four, fear not. This is last week. Everybody say, fear not. For you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. I love this next line. For you will forget the shame of your youth. Now, don't need a show of hands, but if everybody's telling the truth in the room and you're a human, everybody in the room has done something they would just assume everybody else didn't know about. Don't shout me down. How many of you are glad that the Bible, you have word for it that says you can forget about the shame of your youth? Come on, somebody. Because we've all pulled some stuff. We've all, all done some things. We're thankful that the blood of Jesus covers and He forgives and He redeems and He's turned around. And thank God if we hang in there, He'll take our mess and He'll make it into a message that can bless somebody else. Come on, somebody. You'll forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is His name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth He is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion. Everybody say great compassion. With great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love. Everybody say everlasting love. With everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Now here we go. We're at verse 9. Read out loud with me. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. 
For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace. Everybody say covenant of peace. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. Now we'd need a gemologist to come in, a jeweler to come in and preach on the characteristics of these. And if I had an hour to preach this message, I could unfold a little bit of it, but I don't. But just safe to say, God is about to stack you up with some prosperity. How many of you know if your house, the foundation, is built with this description right here? Come on. If your house is described on the realtor list and the, the pinnacles are of agate and the gates are carbuncles and the walls are precious stones, how many of you know you got a show place? Now, we're talking spiritually. Okay, We're not going to take this and twist it and make it some kind of perverse, hyper-prosperity message, but I believe prosperity touches every part of your life. He will build a house that will last. Your marriage, your finances, your health. Come on, somebody. Verse 13, he says, "All I love this right here. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great. Read it out loud. Great shall be the peace of your children. You guys ought to memorize that verse and speak it over your babies and over your grandbabies. God, I thank you that grace, great shall be the peace of of my children. Great shall be the peace of my grandchildren. Thank you for that promise, O God. Last verse, read it out loud. In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Now that's kind of a strange construction, but what we have to do is take, you shall be far from oppression, and from terror, you shall be far from terror. That's how that reads. Okay, You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. You shall be far from terror, and far from terror, for it shall not come near you. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Oh, gracious God, there are not words to say. We cannot even begin to express in a known language our gratitude to you. We just thank you for breath in our lungs, and we pour out our praise today. Thank you that all the earth shall praise your name. and Lord, our hearts, our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our souls, we cry out to you today and we ask you, Lord, in this moment that you meet us, let us have a heavenly encounter. Spirit of God, don't let us just come in here and play religious games and go through the motions and just do what we do and just feel like we've checked off, this, off our list and go, okay, God's happy. I can go on about another week of my life. God, thank you for the gifts that you've given us and that's, you've done that so that we can follow you, so that we can know you, so that we can walk with you. God, take these words today. I, I beg you, Lord. I need you more than I've ever needed you before and I know that apart from you, I can't do anything. And God, I ask you today to open hearts and ears and eyes and help us to see and understand and to hear and perceive. Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. Do what only you can do in this place. Wrestle down hearts, Lord, that have been hard. Soften them in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Change us, transform us, I pray. Only by your grace can that even happen. We thank you for this. We'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. One thing that I want to give to you today. One thing. One thing. Woven through this message. So that if you don't remember anything, you remember this one thing. So read it out loud with me. Here we go. Self-defeat happens in the battleground of the mind. 
Self-defeat happens in the battleground of the mind. It's there where I have to make choices because it's there where I can do last week, walk in fear, or this week, be all tangled up in worry. You know, this last year, all the kids have been doing the whip and the nay-nay. You know, we adults, we do, the, we do the fear and the worry dance. It's a mental dance of gymnastics back and forth. Or are we worried over one thing and then we move over back into that whole thing of being afraid and being fearful? And as long as we do that dance, we whip and nay-nay back and forth between worry and fear, then the enemy's got us. Because we're already self-defeated on the battleground in our own mind because of the thought processes that we enter into and that we continue to entertain and that sometimes make things become bigger than they really even were. Doesn't, doesn't necessarily refute uh, reality in terms of what's happened to you or things that may have been said, but we can take things and we can make them become something that they weren't out of un- misunderstanding out of worry, out of fear. And so today, the one thing that will be woven through this whole message is that self-defeat happens in the battleground of the mind. And so I need help. I need God to come get in the boat with me because it's rocking. Oh, afflicted, storm-tossed, and not comforted was one of these scriptures. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like that. Oh, afflicted, storm-tossed, and not comforted. The word of the Lord comes to you today, and this is what he is saying to us. The antidote to worry, number one, is God's covenant of peace. Those were words that we read just back in verse 10. My steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. This is one of multitudes of reasons why I ascribe this chapter not to natural Israel, but to spiritual Israel, the church, because the covenant of peace. It's not anything that existed under the old law, but this is the new covenant of grace that has come by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is a covenant of peace that cannot be revoked. It will never change. It is everlasting because it's based upon His everlasting love. Somebody say amen. Amen. So the antidote to my worry is recognizing, understanding, grasping, applying, trusting in God's covenant of peace. To know that God is a good God. To know that God is for me. So many of us in the Bible Belt South have had such a ridiculous religious indoctrination about an idea of an angry God sitting up on the brow of a hill who's ready to push the red nuclear button in your life if you just miss it the slightest little bit. And it's birthed out of a hyper-legalistic, hyper-fundamentalist, constant hellfire and brimstone just ragging the people out. And guess what? When you've got a room full of people that most of them know Jesus, they don't need to be told every Sunday, week after week, that their father is angry with them. What if you grew up in a house that everything you ever experienced was from an angry, maniacal father who was ready to, at a moment's notice, just lose his mind on you? You would be the most maladjusted, messed up, socially awkward kind of person just wondering, walking around, wondering if you were going to breathe wrong, if your life might be taken from you. And yet religion has done that to people, especially in the Bible Belt South where we have really more what we call Southern churchianity than we do real Bible Christianity. 
And it preaches this constant God is angry, His wrath constantly. Yes, is that the word? It is true. But I want to tell you right now, listen to me, beloved. If you know Jesus and He is in your heart and you're walking with Him, God already poured out every bit of anger that He would ever have toward you on the cross at Jesus 2,000 years ago. God is a loving Father. He's a good God and He's not mad at you. Oh my goodness, that's good news. Amen. Too often people come to Christ and then get never any kind of a word or just even just the sincere milk of the word that will help you to begin to grow and understand that a loving father comes in and nurtures just in the very same way that some of you young people are starting to have babies in the house and the baby enters the toddler period, those few months that are so much fun and that you almost feel like in one moment you're so filled with love and the next moment you're ready to pull your hair out. <laughs> the beauty of that is that when that child falls down, you don't you know, take out a rod and wear him out. No, you help stand him back up. And if he falls and he bruises himself or something or herself, you love on him and you give him kisses and you, you fix the boo-boo. Come on, somebody, you, you, you get up in their face and show them how proud of them you are, that you are because they're trying to learn how to walk. And if folks could realize your heavenly Father is just like that, come on, somebody. He's a good, good Father. His covenant of peace will never end and He has an everlasting love and overwhelming compassion. Why don't we hear more messages on that? Why don't we hear more messages about God's good grace? Somebody says, yeah, but if you only preach that, people will just live however they want to. I don't believe that for a second. I believe when you truly have met Jesus Christ and you're overwhelmed at the awareness that you are forgiven and you're a new creation, yeah, you may miss it. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect in the way of sinlessness, but I'm telling you there's something on the inside of you that wants to live a different kind of way. And most of the time we have to spend all of our energy trying to get religion out of the way. Don't shout me down this morning. I'm preaching and enjoying it whether you are or not. The antidote to worry is God's covenant of peace. Shalom. Hebrew word shalom. One of God's names is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is your peace. Look at shalom. It means wholeness, completeness, soundness, welfare. Welfare in the sense of complete prosperity. You have everything you need and then some. You have the blessing of God. You have, it's a home where it's not necessarily without conflict, but you learn how to deal with the conflict and not be in strife. It's a home that is not without having challenges that are faced to it, but you learn how to trust God and He overflows you with His abundance so that you don't lack. It's a home that you don't have to walk around in brokenness and, and fear and sadness and depression and, and intimidation because of somebody who's strong arming you. But people are learning to walk and behold human beings. Dads being dads and moms being moms and kids being kids and learning to do it with the love of the Lord in the house. I'm thankful for the covenant of peace that cannot be destroyed. God's concerned about your welfare. He wants you to fare well. He wants you to do well, He wants you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Come on, somebody, say amen. amen. And so when we hear this, it's just almost like, okay, but where's the catch? Because, listen, that's the good news of the gospel. That's right. The good news of the gospel is that He heals the brokenhearted. 
He, 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 he recovers sight to the blind. He releases those that are in prison. The good news to the gospel preached to the poor is you don't have to stay in that state. Come on, somebody. You can see God bless what you put your hand to. I was reading this week as I prayed. I remembered a story when I was a teenage boy in the 1970s. The Jesus movement was a bunch of hippies on the West Coast that got saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus became Lord of their lives and they're holding massive meetings on the beach, folks getting saved every day, people being healed, laying hands on them. During the whole Jesus movement, it was a sort of a sub part of the charismatic movement, late 60s, early 70s, there was a elderly Dutch woman by the name of Corrie Ten Boom. Some of you know who Corrie Ten Boom is. She's gone on to be with the Lord. She was an elderly lady in the 70s, and by the time probably some of you who have been walking with the Lord for a number of years and maybe grew up watching a little bit of Christian television, you remember the old PTL, Jim and Tammy Baker, and uh, Corrie Ten Boom would appear on there a lot, and she would share a testimony about what happened to her when she was a young lady in Beje, the Netherlands. And I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation of the city. It's just B-E-J-E, so I don't, if, I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But Beje, the Netherlands, is where her family was from, and they were a well-to-do family of watchmakers. And this was pre-Nazi Germany, and so Hitler comes to power, becomes the chancellor of the Reichstag, the, their congress, and Hitler basically does away with all of the other parties and Nazism begins to spread and encroach outside of Germany and Austria and touching the other parts of both Eastern and Western Europe. And that whole cancer began to spread. And the United States finally got involved after we were bombed December 6, 1941 in Pearl Harbor by the Japanese, you know the story, forgive me, I don't want to run into a history thing here, I'm, I'm, I've caught myself before I got into it because I love this stuff. And the, one of the beautiful things was out of the Great Depression that Franklin Delano Roosevelt led us, he gave one of the great quotes about fear, he said, the greatest thing to fear is fear itself. And so we have to realize that we've got to get things in proper perspective and so Hitler begins to spread across Europe and the Amsterdam falls, the Netherlands fall. And Corrie ten Boom was a young lady and they were very devout Christians. They were members of the Dutch Reformed Church, which to give you a little bit of a uh, kind of a handle on to figure out what that is, it's very much like American conservative Presbyterianism. Okay? So very strong awareness of the sovereignty of God, great deep appreciation of the grace of God. Um, and so in the middle of all of that, they are just immersed in that kind of mindset and worldview. And the Jewish people are beginning to be annihilated. The genocidal attempt by Hitler has taken a number of millions. But before the end, it was six million. And so this very devout, Christ-honoring, God-loving family recognized that there was some responsibility to being their brother's keeper. And so being a wealthy family and having a big house, they actually had an inner place built that you had to know the secret passage to get to. And that's where we get the title of Corrie Ten Boom's book called The Hiding Place. And so she, she hid 
Literally, their family hid scores and scores of Jews trying to protect them and keep them safe from the encroaching Nazi army of Adolf Hitler. And at one point, their family discovered and she is taken to prison along with her sister Betsy. And uh, miracles happen in the book. If you've never read it, it's, it's a great read and it's quick. Uh, but just the, the ability to be able to trust God and, and to trust God in the middle of those kinds of outrageous, indescribable, earth-shaking circumstances. I, I, I don't want to talk down to any of us in any kind of way, but really, I mean, let's think about what we're facing right now and what's got us under a cloud. Or as the old preacher said, you're under a miff bush. You know what that is when you get miffed? And all the young folks don't know what I'm talking about. If, you get, if you're miffed, you know, you're kind of a little bit perturbed and you're a little bit angry, you're miffed at God. Ask your grandmother. She'll tell you what miffed is. You're dwelling under a miff bush. You're just kind of walking around. You remember it's like the Peanuts, uh, the cartoon. You remember the little guy that everywhere he went, there was a dust ball, just a cloud following him everywhere you went. There are people like that emotionally. It's everywhere they go. It's just spreading all of their joy for the Lord. They're, they're, they're just a roaming picture in doom. And, and, and no matter how high the party is, they have an ability to just be able to level things out for you. <laughs> Come on. Somebody, you know who I'm thinking of? I don't, I'm not thinking of anybody. I don't know who you're thinking of. <laughs> maybe it's you. And if you look around and none of them are, are who it is, maybe it's you. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, what pig pen? That was the dude's name. Yeah. All the dirt and everything's flying. And kind of like this message this morning. I'm trying to collect it. Everything's, <laughs> everything's flying. <laughs> I'm having a good time. I don't know whether you are or not. <laughs> and so in the middle of all of that, in the middle of circumstances where they had nothing but a hard plank to sleep on and they're served cold gruel and they don't have warm blankets and it's cold in winter and it's hot in the summer. And in the middle of all of that, they're being beaten and they see their friends' lives being taken at a firing squad or being escorted off in droves into gas chambers. In the middle of that, Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy just flowed out of some sense of the love of God that was so great that was greater than the, 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 the strength of all the sin and the degradation and the depravity around them that they were determined they were going to show love and forgiveness even to those that were bringing harm to them and to their friends. And the testimonies that take place when you read the book, The Hiding Place, and how God uses a depressed Nazi soldier who they're getting through to with the gospel and the Spirit of God is moving and working and how they escape not before Betsy dies, Corey Tenboom's sister, and that just takes her down to one of her lowest points. And she talks about the ability in the middle of that abyss of emotion to be able to trust God and to not let worry for tomorrow take over her life. And this is what she said. Corey Ten Boom says, Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its troubles. It empties today of its strength. You hear that? There's nothing you can do in worrying... And, and I don't know what your style is. There's some folks that do it and they're just a walking fretball. Just wringing their hands, just, just fretting over everything. Oh, oh, what if this happens? Oh, what are we going to do if that happens? And there's just never any sense of peace. And so I want to say to you this morning, in the way that Corey Ten Boom was able to say in the face of Nazi encroaching evil, she said, you know what? I had to learn how to take it a day at a time and trust God for today. 
What did Jesus say to us in the gospel in Matthew chapter 6? He said, you know what? The, 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 the birds of the air don't worry about where they're going to get their next meal and doesn't God bring it to them? And if one falls, he's aware. If one sparrow falls from the, from the sky and, and Jesus looked at them and he said, are you not all more valuable to your heavenly father than a bird, than a sparrow? Look at the grass of the field, how it's clothed and the, the beauty and the splendor of the lilies. There is not one garment that Solomon had in all of his finery and splendor that could be compared to the glory, how God clothes the field. And so he asked the question, by worrying, who of you can add one hour to your life? You can't. You can't add one cubit to your stature. You can't make yourself taller. You can't worry and make the hair come back. God knows the number that you have. By the way, that is a reducing number in my life. <laughs> the number of hairs that are on my head. I, and, and as a matter of fact, if I worry about it, it's probably going to reduce them more quickly. <laughs> I said, you know, man, it's turning gray. And somebody said, just be thankful it isn't turning loose. You know, so thank God. <laughs> Self-defeat happens in the battle. of the, You guys are so kind to laugh at that bad preacher joke. <laughs> Self-defeat happens in the battle of the mind. Number two, only when trust is absent is overwhelming worry present. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to hurt your feelings. And this is not aimed at women because there are men who worry worse than some women I've ever met in my life. Men can be worriers and fretters just like women can. So I'm not preaching to anybody. This is not gender specific. This is not age oriented because you can be a young warrior just like you can be an old warrior. I didn't say warrior. I said warrior. Only when trust is absent is overwhelming worry present. Bottom line, if, if, if I am gripped in worrying about what if might happen, it means that I am not putting my trust in God. And so often religion has given me this little simple formula about trusting God for the future in heaven and it really doesn't ever take any time to teach me how I can trust God right now in the middle of the mess that I'm dealing with. And let me just tell you, baby, the sweet by and by will take care of itself. I need to deal with the nasty now and now. I need to know how to put my trust in God who will work all things together for my good. That doesn't mean I can lay down and be lazy. Like the guy at a church that we were at in North Carolina for a season. They moved there and the church had some property and a couple of uh, small homes. And so they put them up a little while trying to help them. The wife immediately found work. She started working. The husband's laid back weeks, not doing a thing. A couple of the elders said, hey, brother, what, what are you doing? Do I can put in a good word for you. Can we get you a job? He said, no, I'm just walking by faith. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm just trusting God to meet my needs. He said, well, the, the elder said, I think your wife is working, bringing home the bacon and probably frying it up in the pan, as the song used to say a long time ago. Brother, let me tell you, you need to show us your faith by your works. You need to get up off your blessed assurance and you need to go find you a job. Am I preaching real good this morning? So it doesn't mean we shirk responsibility to trust God. No, when, it, when, I, when I trust God, I work like it all depends on me and I pray like it all depends on God. And I trust God to bless the work of my hands. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast your care upon the Lord for He cares for you. Don and I have had conversations about this because there have been times 
um, I just took after my dad. My dad used to argue with my sweet mama. And my daddy was a sweet daddy too. But daddy would say, Mary Agnes, and that's a quick way to say Mary Agnes. Mary Agnes, is there anything you can do to change it? No. He says, so why waste your time worrying about it then? Now, some of you are looking at me and all the guys are shaking their head going, yes, that's right. Because for the most part, that's kind of a guy way to think. And we have to have grace for the girl way of thinking, especially if we're going to live in peace and habitate together. (laughs) You've put all that together however you want to in your own mind, whatever that means. But if you're going to live in peace, then you've got to better make sure that you are understanding and you listen. But I think this is where a husband can come in and say, baby, it's going to be okay. We have to trust God. There's, I, I'm not shirking responsibility. I recognize what I can do, and I've done everything I can do. So I've already done everything I can. So guess what? We're going to pray right now, and we're going to trust God to do everything He can. And you know what? When you start doing that, it's amazing how God will show up. Because sometimes, if I speak to this as a typical female-male issue, the women think we don't care. Because I've actually had women tell me, you know, I just think when... She's, the, the One lady said, you know, I... That's how I show my care because I'm thinking about what might happen. And you know, the truth of this, sisters, let me help you. Brothers as well who worry, 97% of the things we worry about never come to pass. That's the honest to God truth. We worry about stuff that's just outrageous. I mean, it's just just nonsensical. It's almost like aliens are going to show up to the degree that some people <laughs> worry about things. And the reality is, is that only when trust is missing, and let me just say this, this is like light and darkness. Darkness is not an entity. It's not real. It is the absence of light. Kill the lights up here, guys, for me. Just put it out right now. Everything. On me too. Room. Make the room dark for a second. Okay, that's fine. We'll leave the screens. You got this glow right here. Great. Oh, they're going, they're taking it seriously. Now, why is it dark in the room? Because light just left. But light come back in. Let there be light. Darkness is gone. All right? There is no such thing as cold. Now, you feel the effect of it, but cold is truly the absence of heat. And guess what you need? When you're cold, you need to get heated up. You don't rebuke the cold. We don't bind the darkness. What we do is we turn on the light. The house is cold. You turn on the heater. Put another log on the fire. <laughs> however you do it. Rub two sticks together, whatever, however you do it. It doesn't matter. Just do something to, increase, to make some heat. Look, you cannot defeat worry by saying I'm not going to worry. Because it's a thought issue. Now, what you do is you replace worry with trust. Turn the trust on. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. God, I've done my best. I know all that I can do. I I, I haven't left any stone unturned. I don't know what else to do. I've got to trust you. Help me to cast this care on you because it's wearing me and everybody else out around me. Now, let's just be honest. Now, there comes a time... There comes a time, and you can fret. And let me just tell you, when, when my kids, my son, this weekend we celebrated their birthdays. Drew was 28 on Friday the 15th. Saturday, uh, Abby was 21 the next day. They're seven years and one day apart. And so she's 21 now, grown. She thinks she is anyway. Yeah. I'm teasing, baby, if you hear this. Uh, I, I just I want you to hear that we, we went uh, yesterday, I drove three and a half hours, went to Nashville apartment, shopping, hunting, looking, trying to get her into a place. 
and she had one that she kind of picked. And I said, no, I just don't feel good. I don't like the vibe about it. And I, I'm just, I, I want to go over here. And she said, well, Dad, that one's $150 more a month. I said, look, I'll worry about the more a month right now until you get on your own feet because I've raised you too hard for you to become a crime statistic. It ain't going to happen, baby, under my watch. Now, I, you know, uh, it, it's kind of crazy because he's in Dallas, she's in Nashville. And I don't call them every night and go, are you in the bed? Are you home? <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you this. I, there are times I wake up in the middle of the night and I feel something come over me and I'll go, God, protect my babies. Amen. I'll, be, I'll, I'll wake up and sometimes I hear Dawn say, Lord, be with Abby wherever she is. God, protect Drew, guard him. Amen. Because parents are concerned about the peace of their children. And that can become a worry. But there comes a time where you just have to go, God, I just trust you. I just know we've done everything we can to instill godliness and a love for you in their lives. And God, I just thank you. You help them make decisions. And God, if they make bad ones, be gracious and merciful to them. Wear them out, oh God, but show them and teach them and help them come on through it. Help them learn their lesson. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? And so what I'm saying is, don't rebuke the darkness, turn the light on. Don't, don't fuss because the house is cold, turn up the heat. Don't wallow in your worry. Make a decision to put your trust in God. Not about a future trust in heaven, but about a trust right now. God, I trust you. I know you're a good God. I thank you that you're going to meet my needs in this circumstance which I'm struggling with. And the struggle brings me to my last point. Self-defeat happens in the battleground of the mind. Point number three, we have to war our way into wellness. Everybody say, war your way into wellness. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, two verses, verse 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, because we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Okay, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, one more verse. Casting down arguments. Everybody say arguments. King James says imaginations. Do you realize most of what you worry about is your imagination running wild? What might happen? And you get into the battle of the what ifs. And so things become bigger. And the more you think about it, it starts to multiply. And you cut one arm of the hydra off and two grow in its place. And you're, you're laying in the bed just having the battle of the mattress all night long, wrestling, can't sleep because you're spending all your time worrying. When Jesus said, how are you going to add one hour to your life by worrying? How are you going to add one cubit to your stature by worrying? You can't. It's not going to do you any good. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Walk in today and learn to trust me. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All this stuff you're worried about, God says, I'll take care of it. It'll be added unto you. Hear this, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know when those moments hit. You know when something washes over you, not just as a female, but as a male, as a man. You can know that something can just come on you and it's dread, and if you entertain that, it can become all-out fear. And you can move right into panic and that's in those moments where you have to make the decision, I am not going to go this way in my mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to capture that thought. I'm going to wrestle it down to the ground. I'm going to put handcuffs on it. I'm going to read it its rights. Tell it it doesn't have any. You get out of here. 
You're not going to live in my life. You're not going to camp in my mind. You're not going to take over and let fear or worry. I'm tired of doing. I'm whipping and nay-naying between the, the worry and the fear dance. Over and over. Because the word of the Lord says, the way I can defeat that, I can either be self-defeated in the battleground of my own mind or I can rise up and make that thought serve Christ. Now how I do that, is not by saying, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. Because by saying, I'm not going to think about it, you're actually thinking about not trying to think about it. And it's self-defeating. The only way you replace a powerful thought is with something else more powerful. Now, some of you have been around here over the years as I've taught on thoughts before. And if you've done this, that's fine. So just bear with me. It'll only take a second. I want every one of you right now, let's do a little experiment. Where you're sitting, and I'm almost finished with the message, where you're sitting, I want you to start... Under your breath, don't say it out loud, but just in your mind, I want you to start at 10 and count down very slowly, backwards. Now, everybody say the ABCs. A, B, C, D, E, F, H, I, L, Pimento Cheese, as the little boy said. Okay. What happened to the count? The count stopped because the thought is not as strong as a spoken word. So how you defeat a thought that is attempting to take hold and become a stronghold in your life, a pattern of thinking, the way you get delivered from that, the way you cast down that argument that's trying to argue and tell you you really can't trust God, that God maybe did good for them, but you know, after all, you hadn't lived right, so you can't expect that kind of blessing in your life. You know how he comes and he argues with you. And all these arguments, these imaginations, these thoughts that are coming in, you have to just stop and begin to speak the word of the Lord because your mouth is more powerful than your mind. Because when you talk, what you're thinking has to stop while you speak. So guess what you do? You, You get a hold of three or four good verses. What is your current struggle? Get on the internet and you just you just Google Bible verses about fear. And so you look up and it's going to give you a printout of hundreds of them. And maybe whatever three or four of them really appeal to you, write them out on a little three by five card and stick it one above the sun visor in your car so that when you come to a red light, you can pull it down and you can just say, Father, I thank you that you've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And you start putting in words into your heart and your mind that will begin to help you defeat the thoughts that are attempting to try to build a stronghold in your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So whatever it is, you've got a struggle in a relationship, you're walking in unforgiveness, can't forgive somebody who hurts you, then just Google and get get three or four verses and just put them in your toolbox and start memorizing those. And then when the time comes, when that thought raises its head, peeks up out of there somewhere, and they do in the moments when you don't expect them at all, then that's when you can take the, the sword of the Spirit and cut the head of that snake off that's attempting to slither up into your garden to try to argue with you about how good God is, try to challenge who He's made you to be now, who you are. He's a good, good Father. That's that's who you are, Lord. And I am loved by Him, as the song says. That's who I am. Everybody say, that's who I am. By the way, we're going to sing that tonight at our prayer service. You better show up. It's going to be good. So you replace it with right thinking. Listen to these three verses and I'm finished. John 14, 27. Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift Peace of mind and heart. Oh, that's so good. Father, how we need that. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. 
So don't be troubled. Everybody say worried. Don't be troubled or afraid. There's your worry and fear dance right there. Listen to this one. This one's not on the screen, but listen anyway. Romans 8, 38. I love it. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life nor angels nor demons. I love the NLT. That's why we give this one away back there at the Fresh Start table. Listen to what it says. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Oh my goodness, isn't that good? Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Thessalonians says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times in every situation. The Lord be with you all. Colossians 3.15 Look at this. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Folks, you can have a gift and not use it. You can have it, you can have it in your heart and you don't let it. Let. Look at your neighbor and say, let it. Let, it. let the peace of God rule your heart. You, 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 can, you can be at peace with God knowing that you're a believer, that your sins are covered, that your, heaven, home is gonna, your home is going to be in heaven. You know that you're walking covered by the blood of Jesus, but yet you don't have peace right now in a circumstance because you haven't let the peace of Christ rule your heart. That means He rules and calls the shots and said, uh-uh, that, that thought doesn't stay. Put handcuffs on it. Get it out of here. Come on, bring in this thought, the awareness that, that God's love for you is greater than the problems you're facing. Come on, somebody. Nothing can separate you. Last verse and I'm finished. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Heads are bowed.